Uh, today in, in worship, we're drawing to the end of our uh, sermon series we've been going through for the last couple of months, uh, in which we've explicitly explored the ways in which God stretches us beyond those boundaries that we tend to surround ourselves with, um, whether they be national uh, boundaries or interpersonal boundaries or uh, different types of boundaries. And so um, today in Luke 13, uh, 10 through 17, Jesus takes us beyond religious boundaries um, in this story. So Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. A woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't stand up straight. When he saw her, Jesus called her to him and said, Woman, you are set free from your sickness. He placed his hands on her, and she straightened up at once and praised God. The synagogue leader, incensed that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded, There are six days during which work is permitted. Come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord replied, Hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from its stall and lead it out to get a drink? Then isn't it necessary that this woman a daughter of Abraham bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day. When he said these things, all his opponents were put to shame, but all those in the crowd rejoiced at all the extraordinary things he was doing. Borders and boundaries can help us to feel safe. They can help define us. They can make us feel comfortable. But as we've seen in these stories, Jesus frequently pushes beyond those boundaries in ways that made the people of his time uncomfortable and tend to still make us at times a little uncomfortable today. So we started off almost two months ago with a story of God healing a general in an army that was in conflict with Israel. Then Jesus tells us that our neighbors are not limited just to those that are right around us, that look like us, that talk like us, that think like us. We've talked about the assumptions that we bring into the text, the assumptions that color the way that we hear the stories, especially those stories that we are most familiar with. Jesus has challenged our notions of hospitality, telling us that there are many pieces and that everybody's faith and actions don't always look the same. He's offered us direct relationship with God, a relationship that is as close to us as family is meant to be, a relationship that doesn't have to be mediated through the temple or through some special class of people. He has challenged us to consider ourselves as citizens of God's kingdom first, and foremost, a kingdom in which we share that mercy that God has given us out to all the other people that we encounter along the way. And he has told us that even though we are meant to love each other, that this way of living will often lead to divisions. Last week when we looked at Jesus talking about those divisions, we, we touched on the setting of that story just a little bit. 
He was out uh, talking to a group of followers that had been following him around the countryside, and this took place after he had had a meal with some Pharisees. And at that meal, he'd been berated for not following the law, namely for not washing his hands before the meal. Now, we might point out today that washing hands before we eat is actually not really a bad thing. But today we, we do that because we know that we're helping to, you know, wash off the dirt and wash off the germs so that hopefully we don't get sick. We're trying to literally clean our hands before we eat. We don't do it because it's a law. We don't do it because it's contained in the law. We do it because it's a good practice. We do it to hopefully clean off the germs and not get ourselves sick or anyone else for that matter. But this is not the reason that the Pharisees are upset. The, the Pharisees got mad at him just because he didn't follow the religious laws. The law tells us we're supposed to wash our hands before we eat. You didn't do that. This helps give us a little background for today's text. We can see this is not the first time this sort of thing has happened and in fact, it begins to happen more and more frequently as Jesus continues to teach and heal his way toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish religious world, so he encounters more and more of the religious leaders as he goes along the way. So today we find Jesus teaching in a synagogue on the Sabbath day, the most holy day of the week, for the Jewish people, a day that they would, that would find many of them going into the synagogues to learn more about God, to find ways to praise God. And so Jesus is there with the others, continuing to teach as he often does. And as he was teaching, he noticed this woman. A woman who was hunched over and unable to stand up straight. And it's revealed that she has a a crippling spirit that has tormented her for 18 years. And so Jesus calls her over. And that's an important point for us as we talk about this story. We're not told that she approached him. She didn't come up and ask him for anything. She wasn't seeking him out. We're just told that she was there and Jesus noticed her. And so he calls her over, and he says to her, Woman, you are set free. And after he places his hands on her, she is immediately able to stand up straight. Now, we could simply stop here with this story. I, I was doing this uh, online, this recorded Lectio Divina earlier this week. Um, for those that don't know, the Lectio Divina is a way of, of prayerfully reading little passages of Scripture in a way that we listen for how God is still speaking to us here today. And so in the, this uh, Lectio Divina I was listening to, um, they stopped the passage here for this week. And as I was listening to it being read over, my mind kept being drawn each time to Jesus saying, you are set free. I imagine we all long to hear Jesus speaking those words directly to us. 
And as I listened to that recorded voice repeating this bit of scripture, as I listened to God's prompting me in the midst of that, I did begin to feel like Jesus was saying that to me. You are set free. That's part of the good news that we say that we're all about. That good news, that gospel that we are called on to share with others, Jesus came to set us free from that which afflicts us. He heals us. He leads us into relationship with God. He calls on us to love one another. Through Jesus, we are set free from those things which torment us. Sometimes that's a physical healing. Sometimes it's a spiritual healing leading us beyond those things, holding us back. Sometimes it's an emotional healing as we learn to love again after heartache or betrayal. Jesus calls this woman over as he calls to each of us, and he offers her freedom from that which troubles her. He offers her healing and wholeness, and it's not because she sought him out. It's not, it's not because she asked Jesus to heal her. Jesus healed her because that's who he is. Jesus comes into each of our lives offering us forgiveness whether we have asked for it or not. This is God's grace reaching out to us sometimes before we are even aware. We can certainly ask Jesus for healing. We can certainly come to God in prayer and we do as others have in other stories. We seek out God when we know that God can heal but today's story helps to remind us that that's not always necessary. Even today, healing and a change of heart happen through the action of Jesus. Sometimes, whether we are seeking it out or not. And this is part of the reason that the synagogue leader gets so upset. As with the Pharisees we touched on last week, the leader of the synagogue turns to the law to denounce this healing that took place on the Sabbath. And of course, he lays blame on both Jesus and the woman. Healing is work, and Jesus should not be working on the Sabbath. As well, this woman should be seeking out healing on any of those other days of the week, not on the Sabbath. Of course, as someone who's been afflicted for 18 years, chances are she sought out healing before. Likely, she'd followed the guidance of the religious law to seek healing for her affliction. At some point, she had surely become resigned to this thing that was on her for 18 years. Chances are, after all that time, she probably wasn't there that day seeking out healing. She was probably just there in the synagogue because it was the Sabbath day, and that's what you do. So this blame on one who was healed 
This one who was not seeking out healing, but who Jesus showed grace and mercy to is at best misplaced and at worst intentionally mean-spirited on behalf of that leader. She was just there. Jesus called her over. Woman, you are set free. Jesus is having none of it, of course. He turns around on this leader and, and others who were there, calls them hypocrites. Who among you doesn't untie your cattle on the Sabbath so that they can go out for a drink? Who among you doesn't do what is necessary to life on the Sabbath, even if we might consider it work? Surely healing one who is suffering is necessary to life. Surely she deserves freedom on the Sabbath just as much as the ox or the donkey. Jesus calls them out. This daughter of Abraham, this woman, this neighbor, is she not of more importance than someone's ox or donkey? They were put to shame by his words. But the rest of the crowds continued to rejoice at the power of his healing and his teaching. Now, I will say, lest I appear to be condemning the synagogue leader or the Pharisees, that what they did, they did out of a desire to honor God. At least, at least to a point. God had given them the Ten Commandments all the religious laws that came later draw on that out of a desire out of a desire to make sure that they are honoring those commandments in life in this case if we are commanded to remember the sabbath and to keep it holy well what does that mean how do we live that out every day and so they took every situation that they could think of and they parsed it out and tried to figure out, well, what, what counts as, as honoring the Sabbath and what doesn't? Does doing this thing constitute committing an act that goes against the Sabbath? And so we wind up with this, this general prohibition against work. God rested on the Sabbath and so should we. Therefore, any work on the Sabbath is forbidden. So for the Pharisees and other religious leaders, the intent at first was certainly to honor God as best they could. But it's not that particular attitude that Jesus is responding to. Jesus calls them hypocrites for using the laws as a reason not to help others. Not to help someone in need not to heal someone who is suffering on the Sabbath. This is the same thing he was doing in that parable of the good neighbor or the good Samaritan, if you like, that we talked about last month. And so we look back at that story a little to help us understand what Jesus is doing today. Jesus had told that parable after he was questioned about what do I need to do to receive eternal life? And he turns the question back on this legal expert that was questioning him. 
well, what does the law say? What do you find written there? And this legal expert says, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. All that stuff contained in the law, he sums up in those two things. Love God, love your neighbor. And so if we think about that summary in relation to Jesus' response today, things can become a little more clear for us. Jesus is not calling them hypocrites for wanting to follow the law. He's calling them hypocrites for failing to understand the law, for failing to fulfill the law. If the sum of the law is to love God and to love our neighbor, how is our commitment to the laws leading us to that? The point of the law is not simply to give us a checklist of rights and wrongs to use to judge ourselves and others. That's all the law has become. We have truly failed to understand it. Instead, Jesus is making it clear that that it is not merely the absence of that which is bad, but also the presence of that which is good that makes holy. I was reminded of that in a, in a actually there was a comic strip in the paper I read years ago. And there was this guy, he was, he was all happy and he's sitting there with his best friend and he says, you know what, I never cuss. He's like, that's nice. Does simply not doing the bad thing make you good? I was also reminded of it this, this morning and actually in Charles's sermon as he reminded us of the general rules that John Wesley wrote for the Methodist classes. Three little rules. The first one is to do no harm. So he applied that to both ourselves and out to others. We're not supposed to do any of those things that kind of count as harming ourselves or other people, those things that we might consider bad. But then he adds on to that with the second one, which is do good. It's not just the absence of the bad that leads us to holiness, but also the presence of the good. Simply outlawing work on the Sabbath does not lead one to grow closer to God. Rather, we should consider how we can put work aside to grow closer to God. That's the reason for the laws, to help us know what loving God and loving our neighbors looks like. But when the laws are used to deny love to our neighbors, we have failed to understand the law and we have failed to honor God. Jesus stretches our understanding of what it means to be holy, to follow the religious rules that we have created. He's not condemning the rules themselves, but he is pointing out that the rules are meant to lead us in our loving relationship, both with God and with others. When the laws fail to do that, Jesus has no problem ignoring them or pointing out the hypocrisy of those that use the laws to allow other people to suffer. As we draw to a close today, I want us to take another look at our religious laws. When we look to the law, how 
How do they lead us to love God and each other more? I'll give an example. When I, when I wash my hands, I, I'm not doing it because the law says I should. But when I wash my hands, I do have a tendency actually to uh, sing a little short Gloria that's in the hymnal. You know, it's just one of those things. It, it helps me make sure I'm washing my hands, but it, it also reminds me in that moment to honor God. Helps me recognize God in the midst of the mundane and the everyday. So it has a purpose beyond simply washing my hands. When we look to the law, how does it lead us to love God and love each other more? That's the question that Jesus is asking. This is the reason that he has so much scorn for the religious leaders that try to put a stop to what he is teaching, to the healings that he is doing. They had let the law become more important to them than God, more important than God's love and mercy for them. And frankly, without God's love and mercy, what chance do any of us have? We all fall short. We are all imperfect under the law. At the end of the day, Jesus is the one that reaches out to us and heals us. It is Jesus' action. He is constantly reaching out to us whether we know it or not. He is constantly offering us healing and relationship whether we ask for it or not. And so we continue to love God and we continue to love each other. We continue to do our best to show our love for God and others, and then we trust in God's mercy for the healing that is offered.